Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Welcome to another episode of Sales Ops Demystified. Today, we're joined by Katyuska, who has extensive experience in sales operations, currently at Intralinks. Um, and I've just been through your uh, LinkedIn profile, and there's there seems to be a lot of experience that wasn't labeled sales ops, but actually I think would be yeah okay we're nodding yeah um, yeah and so and so that was in your the previous company that you're working at which is DHL um, correct so actually I'm seeing a lot of experience here also in different markets as well because you used to live and work in Brazil yep exactly fantastic um, awesome Katuta. Kashyuska, welcome to the show, and let's kick off. Um, question number one, how did you get into sales ops? It's a, it's a, good, I, it's a good one. I actually, so as, as you said, I grew up in Brazil. So we start work quite early there. Um, so my first sales job, I was 15, and I was doing cold calling. <laughs> 15? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I was... I was, do- I was doing cold calling for a telecom company. Mm-hmm. We were a very small office focused on BMEs. And after a while there, the supervisor left. And I started doing graphs and reports. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I was helping design our Java-based CRM. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was quite interesting. So that so- was like a long, long time ago. Was that when you were fifteen? Uh yeah, I was seventeen by then. So 18, yeah. So would you say that you were active in sales operations since you were seventeen years old? That's correct. So you have got to be the youngest or the earliest starting <laughs> sales. I op- was a very odd teenager. Yes, I was <laughs> a very. I really liked spreadsheets. Um, yeah, but then so yeah, because, then surely you had sorry another question on that. Surely you had like um cold call either targets for calls or targets for sales were you doing that like in your spare time like how, how did you fit in that work I was yeah it was kind of I started as a as an internship like mm. as high school internship kind of thing so it was I was doing it for uh, it was part-time at, at afternoon and then 
I went to university. I was doing marketing at the time and I started doing it full time. Cool. Um, yeah. Then I, um, but then I moved, I decided to la- to leave marketing. It wasn't for me. <laughs> I decided to go to Sao Paulo. So I moved to Sao Paulo, um, started mm. studying international relations mm. and I got my first then proper corporate job um, at DHL. I'm going to, skip the part that I was packaging boxes in the <laughs> press center and I'm going to go straight to the inside sales one. Yeah. Um, so I, I did it. I was in an inside sales position for a year or so. And this crazy guy, sales director at the time was said to me, why do, do you, I think you would be good at sales operations. And I was, didn't even, even though I had that experience before, I wasn't really aware that that was what we was really. Yeah. So I went in a little bit blind and I kind of then really figured out one month in the CRM left admin and I had to figure it out Siebel nice. kind of on my own. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that then then the proper like big sales ops job started. Um, mm. I was um, I went to sales enablement for a while. That was about the time that I kind of decided to move. Uh, to leave DHL and yeah. funnily enough, a old client of mine from the Express Center uh, talked to me about this Interlinks company and had no idea what SaaS was. M&A market was, my, my knowledge of M&A market was close to zero, mm-hmm. zero data rooms, nothing. But I did no sales, right? Sales processes, the team there in Brazil gave me a lot of freedom to be creative and change processes and in risk some stuff um, that led me to move to Boston to our headquarters in a deal desk position. Then that led me to London. Mm -hmm. And for a year I was doing, I was a BA in our corporate system solutions team. Mm -hmm. And then this guy, this crazy French guy, Laurent Sultan, our SVP of sales in EMEA, thought that it would be a good idea for me to lead the sales ops team. And All here right. we are. Here we go. So, so right now, how many people are in the sales ops team? In my team, I have two amazing analysts, mm-hmm. Scott and Christina. Shout and out to Scott and Christina if they're watching. Yes. And globally, we have, I have, we have about 10 people in the team, like straight sales operations, sales enablement, big auto group so we have quite an extensive um sales excellence kind of team led by our amazing wayne okay cool so so you're leading the global sales ops team the emia sales ops Emias. Team. okay cool and there's, and there's around 10 in sales ops globally yeah got it cool and and how many uh sales people are you are you is the emia team responsible for we have all in all, it's about 80 people in the sales organization. Nice. So an 80. Yeah, between. They're the ratio of three to 80. Mm. I should actually, what I should do with every guest, I should get that ratio and we should try and work yeah. out. Yeah. Anyway, okay, awesome. Um, so your journey, I, I guess ever since you're 17, you've essentially been doing sales up stuff, right? And then that experience yeah. helped you kind of move into that role more formally later in the career. Cool. Correct. Great. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what do you think makes an awesome sales ops person? 
Yeah, um, I was thinking about that before this. Um, I think for me, it comes down to the right balance between analytics and business mindset and business acumen. I feel that if you have only the analytics part, you're not going to be as successful. You need to understand the clients. You need to understand what it takes to win a deal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you, you get the process you build and the reports you make will not connect with the team. So, and you will not make, add value if you don't really understand what's going on with the business. So mm-hmm. I think it's that fine balance between having that analytical and process-oriented mindset and that deep understanding of the business. Cool. So that's more, uh, I think that w- we've had this before, where you, you, you really need to get into the numbers, but then you also need to see the bigger picture, like the strategy. Cool. Exactly. Okay. Um, and exactly. so do you have any like tips on how you, like how to do that, or is it just something you get used to? Yeah, I, I was lucky that my, my journey kind of allowed me to do that because I was I had like sales jobs in between. Uh, but I also has always been very curious. I've always been very curious. So even if it's something that I don't so when I when I moved to Boston and doing deal desk, I there was part of our business that we didn't have in Latin America because our market was just like smaller and didn't really have the need for it. Mm-hmm. So I jumped in, I sat down with the sales guys, I was listening to calls to understand that entire line of business that I didn't have exposed before. So it's about being curious. Like you don't have to do it yourself, but you need to like be curious about it and really mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah, I kind of find that with marketing as well. Like you can as a marketing team, like stay away from like the sales conversations and, and like you think you know what the customers like or what the prospects want but actually you never really know unless you like sit in conversations um so i guess the same with sales yeah. right exactly exactly i feel I, I feel very strongly about that i really need mm-hmm. to be connected to the team and understand what's going on in front of clients so do you like a mandate that your your analysts go and sit on sales calls for example oh yeah, yeah. I I the I, I asked them to do that. I asked them to be on the QBRs with them and understand like how are they approaching their territories and really like being client meetings if possible, like mm-hmm. at least like once in a while. Not obviously yeah. not of like every other day, but like at least once a quarter if possible, go to a client event, talk to some clients and yeah, I definitely encourage them to do that. Got it. Um do you think that sales experience is necessary for sales operations? I sort of answered it. I, I, I don't think it's necessary. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a requirement to be a, sale, a good sales operations professional to have been done sales before. I do feel that you need to understand the sales team, the sales process very deeply in our clients, how our clients make decisions. This is crucial information for you to do a good job as a sales operations professional. So I don't think you need that experience necessarily mm-hmm. yourself, but it's it's a married relationship for me. You need to understand what's going on. So, so do you think that your sales experience has helped you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, okay, then if I, let's say me, and I've had like a little bit of sales experience, but let's just pretend I've had none. And then I wanted to take on a sales ops role here at Evster. What would I do to kind of make sure that I understood the salespeople or I understood the process? Like, well, what are the actual actions I would take? Um, good question. Um, I, I obviously, like, it would depend on, like, 
how mature it is and like how how what ease exactly you need to take on in terms mm-hmm. of building a sales operations but it's like literally it's just i would say sit down listen to cold calls mm-hmm. listen to to like read contracts try to do a quote yourself see what that looks like is really like just having that sense of what's going on and what are they experiencing so that those numbers and those tables will make sense to you. Got it. So actually it's, live, live and breathe the sales process before I try oh, yeah. and improve it or make changes. Exactly. Cool. Um, what is your current uh, technology stack at Intralinks in the sales ops world? Um, yeah. So we use Salesforce with our CRM. Mm-hmm. We have quite a lot of applications in the ecosystem like Zora. I I've I thought about mentioning High Spot, which is an interesting one. Really cool tool for proposal and pitch and stuff. Really cool. cool. Uh, we also use for our internal communication with the sales team, etc. Yeah. Um, from an analytics perspective, we use OBIE, and I float around with Power BI, which is something that I find very interesting for data visualization. Mm-hmm. What's well, um, Power VI? Power BI, yeah, it's a Microsoft-based one, so yeah, cool. everyone's everyone has it. No one really uses it, so I've been using it. Uh, I, I, I'm really, really excited about the Tableau acquisition. By the way, I'm like yeah, jumping really. out of my seat. I'm <laughs> like, re- I think I'm really looking forward to see what Salesforce is gonna come up with because Tableau yeah. is a really powerful tool, mm-hmm. and Power BI kind of mimics Tableau and yeah. has some features. So I'm really excited about that acquisition. When you heard it, did you literally jump out of your chair? I really literally just jumped out. I was sending to my team, like, this is the biggest new of the year. Like, <laughs> I was really excited about that. Um, any others? Um, well, we we do, like, we have, like, Slack, which is, you asked me my favorite tool, Right now, Slack is one of my favorites. It's a con- okay. like really cool collaboration tool, con- fast communication. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really powerful tool in th- for me in terms of collaboration. Um, Do you feel that? Any- one- oh, sorry, continue. No, go ahead. Um, an interesting one I started using recently is Toggle. It's a time management tool. Uh-huh. Um, I've been feeling the need to like it's been it's been giving me a lot of perspective like to understand where the time is going, where I'm spending more time. Oh, nice. Yeah, so really cool tool. So, so, so that like runs on your computer and then you can see at the end of the day, like where you, if you are on like Facebook for like two minutes or? <laughs> no, it's actually like I, I insert it. So I, you can create projects mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you want to track. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and then you enter the time. So there is a timer option. So I'm using that and it's been very interesting because I had a perception of oh this is I'm, this is taking too much time, mm. but but just by doing this exercise, I realized that things that I don't necessarily perceived that is taking a lot of time are the ones actually taking more of my time. So nice. I, it's a scary but interesting exercise. <laughs> and do you, do you give any of you the sales team like uh, enablement tools? Uh, what do you, in what I mean, like, enablement? Uh, like stuff to help them call people or stuff to help them email people like the yeah so uh we are we are we are we are doing some pilots with outreach mm-hmm. um 
so a lot of Salesforce beta applications, really. Yeah. Um, we we try to empower them as much as possible. We are in a our our transactional, which is the vast majority of our business, is quite hard to get in. So we have to to use different sources. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to come up with like a very automated tool, but we do our best to kind of integrate as much as possible with the data available in the market. So we have to do some maneuvers a little bit to, to make that happen. Got it. And favorite tech tool is Slack. Um, yeah. You, so what, we, what we've been doing every day is like whenever like a deal deal closes or anything, we'll feed that directly into Slack. Uh, yeah. So that everyone can see it. Uh, put like little yeah. Do you do that? No, we do. We have, yeah, but we, we do it more kind of organically. We don't have necessarily integration. We yeah. do what we are using some integrated features in Slack, but uh, we use AHA for innovation and stuff like that. Um, but I do, we do like we're creating that culture of like sharing that information. We have the Amy at channel that people are talking about people who is coming mm-hmm. in. And I find it very exciting and it's more approachable. People can have information kind of on the spot. Yeah, I really like it. Awesome. Um, how do you currently deal with data quality? That's the question, isn't it? Um, so I, data quality is definitely is top of mind for me. Is one of like it's definitely one of is my top three priority this year, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think obviously like I we don't we are not the CRM admins ourselves, but we are a very important piece of the puzzle of the data quality. So I the way I, I see our role in my t- me and my team, we're the ones like looking at the data on a daily basis. We're the ones closer to the field to really understand the data input, because that's the key for me, is understanding how the data is getting to the system. Yeah. Um and so I, I see my, my role as kind of this ambassador for the field, talking to the, the people who are um, making decisions in the configuration of the system so it's as friendly as possible mm-hmm. so we can have quality data. It's, it's a challenge. Like I, uh, I've, I've, I was thinking about this question and uh, I remember when I first, like my first CRM admin position, Back with Siebel, we had a huge adoption problem at the time. Sales team didn't trust the system. Uh, DHL had some pretty strong KPIs. It was a very KPI-driven sales organization. And people were arguing they didn't trust, they didn't trust the KPIs, etc. So because my, my immediate previous role was as an account executive myself, Mm-hmm. I used that experience and we did like a comprehensive cleanup. I changed a bunch of stuff. I made processes that didn't make sense and I remade them. It was a very like laborious and took time, but by I we could really clearly see the results. Like a year or so after, our plan our territory planning process has mm-hmm. improved significantly. And our, the level of discussions that we had to have with the field about their KPIs reduced significantly. So it's a, it's top of mind. It's it's a to me one of the most important things you can do as an organization is making sure that your that your data inputs and the people who are in the field talking to clients it's as friendly as possible for them, 
so you can have quality data to look at. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. So you're essentially linking uh, the sales team and the people, I assume they're in IT, who are managing, or like the Salesforce admins. That so I try to do that to the best of my ability, yeah. <laughs> always easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So would a salesperson like march up to IT and be like, change this field? Exactly. Yeah, okay. And you're like, no, don't do that. Come to me first. Um, okay, cool. So what would you say is your biggest challenge in the role? Um, I think right now one of my biggest challenges, and I don't think I'm alone on that one, is obviously Interlinks is a global organization. Um, but our mothership is in the U.S. So a lot of the processes are, it's natural that the processes are created based on that U.S. experience, yeah. which doesn't necessarily always apply to uh, the complexity of the EMEA markets, right? Yeah. So um, this is definitely one of my biggest challenges now, making sure that what, what we are consuming makes sense to our markets. So I, I tried I try to mint, like I try to build the relationships that I made when I was in the US and I keep those relationships going, like knowing the right people, talking to them regularly to make sure that I'm on top of what's coming. Yeah. So I can influence the decision a little bit and hey, like this might not work for this and this situation or this market or this currency. So I try to to do that to the best of my ability. But that's definitely a challenge. And I think it's a it's a natural thing. It's not it's never gonna go away entirely, but mm -hmm. I try to do my best to stay ahead. Um so our team here has some quality work delivered to them. Yeah, so you're saying that the challenge of managing the relationships with your American stakeholders. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, you, the like yeah Sorry, making those decisions and yeah, helping make those decisions and influence those decisions it's yeah. it's the challenge. So you like go over there like every year for like team events? Yeah, I try to I try to go. I went two times this year. I try to but I I I don't wait to go there. I I have regular one on one with people. I keep them like on the loop. I'm mm -hmm. I'm just like I I I try to talk to people as much as possible so I know what's going on. Yeah, I think could I don't want to be horrible to Americans. I don't want to uh, be prejudiced, but maybe they they wouldn't understand what it's like, or they wouldn't understand that actually Europe is like, however, 50 different, completely different places, right? Versus 50 different states. They do have their differences, but are largely uniform in terms of currency. And exactly. I, I can imagine that being frustrating. And I don't think, yeah, and I don't think, I honestly don't think is in a, malicious way or it's just it, it's hard when you're in the day-to-day -day and trying to get stuff done and you're going to talk to the person right next to you and hey what do you think about that and oh okay then and then you validate and you move on because people are trying it's not a it's just a natural thing so i try to stay top of mind i try to remember like, hey just like, make sure that you're talking to us and over, you know what's going on here over over communicate yes cool definitely okay. um Metrics. Do you have a, a single metric that you can judge all sales users by? I don't believe so. No, I, I don't. I, no, I don't think there is a one single metric. Obviously, depends on what industry you're in and how mm. complex is your sales cycle. You kind of have more or less. I think metrics are a 
a crucial, like critical indicator for us. I think we would go blind if we didn't have them. But I don't think that it's all there is. I think they always have a less, not so easily measurable element. We're talking about people. With people are talking about clients. It's not a all black and white mm-hmm. thing. Um, I think if you spend way too many hours with your numbers and your spreadsheets and your trend lines, you lose perspective mm-hmm. of the people and the clients and what's going on. So I but don't don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of metrics. I have mm-hmm. I love them. I try to to get them standardized as much as possible, as simplified as possible so people can truly understand them. Um, but I don't think I think you need to also be mindful of the people element and keep perspective. Otherwise, yeah, the numbers don't tell the whole story. Never. Interesting perspective, actually. We haven't had that before. Um, but, okay, well, I'm going to push on this. Right now, <laughs> <laughs> at, at your business, if you could only use, use one metric to judge the reps, what would you choose? Ah. Um, one metric, I would say, I cannot make up my mind on that one. Um, what are the, uh, what are the options? So I I would say, I would say definitely, uh, um, people they are talking to like coverage of the territory, especially for the the key accounts. I think we're finding, I, I think we're finding that being more targeted and more specific about who we are talking to is being much more effective than trying to cover everything. So being more strategic about the, the, your territory, I would say that would be one of the key metrics for me. So we're building a lot of uh, some dashboards around key accounts, mm-hmm. crucial people to talk to. Cause I obviously like the, a lot of what we do is dependent on the market. So the sales team can only go so far if deals are not happening deals are not happening right um but if they are talking to the right people that will take the advantage we're going to have the advantage there if we're talking to the right people so one kind of metric not just about salesperson activity but salesperson activity with specific target accounts cool exactly yeah we haven't had that one before um awesome okay and final question who taught you the most about sales operations or who's inspired you? You mentioned quite a few people at the start. Yeah, I do. I have to, men- I, I have to mention two, two people, two very important people. So um, Josue Estrada was the sales director who first like, told me that I would be good at this. Mm-hmm. And he not only said that, he literally like spent time with me going over data sets, teaching me how to put a report together. Mm. This It took, like, he didn't have to do it. I was a junior analyst. He was the director, you know. Was this and a, um, he did that. Was this a DHL? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's currently he's currently San Francisco at Salesforce. And mm. we, I saw him a couple of weeks, a couple, couple of years ago. He's, he's always going to inspire me. He's an amazing guy. And I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that. That moment where it's he said, "Hey, maybe we should do that." Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to mention my pal, my mentor, Greg Hattrick. He's our amazing corporate systems director. 
Um, he is such an innovator. He can make sense of really complex processes and make them easier to understand and connect the dots that no one will. He teaches me a lot uh, every day. I learn from him. Um, I keep telling him to move to London, but he mm -hmm. won't. So where's he? Is he, is he in the US? In Boston, yeah. Yeah, he should definitely come over. I know, yeah, definitely. Like it's it's a it's a constant learning experience and having this. He not he's he's not in sales operations, by the way. Um, but he has this process oriented mentality and he can make sense of things. And that to me, it's a crucial skill set for what we do to be able to see and anticipate issues. So I, I'm constantly learning from him and it's a really good thing to have. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, to summarize, um, things I picked out, there's the, the analytical versus the strategic mindset that you need in sales operations. Um, there's try not to focus too much on numbers because you'll lose touch with what's actually going on. So with what your customers and what your salespeople are feeling and what's working or not. Um, and then that metric thing about not just looking at activity or email sent or phone calls made, but those metrics versus the, the strate strategic accounts that you're trying to engage with. Um, fantastic. Thank you so much, Kajiska, for Thank you, Tom. your wisdom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.